This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jerry Fire and Fuel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Enduring the Badge Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Dean Lund, and I don't want you to miss an upcoming episode, so please hit that subscribe button. And while your phone's out, please do me a favor and give us a review on iTunes or our Apple Podcasts. It says, hey, this podcast has a great message, and we should send it out to more people. So please take that 30 seconds to a minute to do that review, and just maybe by doing that, it'll push this up into someone's podcast feed that really needs this message. Hey, everyone. I want you to know how committed and dedicated I am to you. I truly appreciate and love those in the first responder world and those who surround them. They're an incredible, important part of my life. And I know if you're listening, they are yours as well. And that's why I have these guests on. I have these truly amazing guests on so you can learn from their struggles and maybe find those ways to improve your life. If you're struggling through life, and not being able to pick up on maybe some of these tips that these amazing guests are giving you, I offer a free 15-minute phone call with no obligations. I'm going to talk to you about you living up to your greatest potential and ways I can uplift you and assist you in your self-discovery and having you create true connections to people around you so you don't feel alone in this world that is so big and sometimes we feel so alone with what we're going through and our emotions. My job is to get you to your greatest potential and find ways to motivate you to do that. So please feel free to jump on a 15-minute phone call with me. You can find information at the website and during the Badge Podcast. And there's a little icon on the bottom right where you can leave me a voicemail or you can go to the coaching tab and schedule a call there. Or please feel free to reach out to me with a message on Instagram at Jerry Fire and Fuel. That's my personal one, or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. My very special guest today is Jason Lehman. He has an incredible story. He's a former police officer who, just by the title, if you look at the episode, talks about how he went from wrecking his community to making it resilient. Now, how did he get to that? Jason, early on in his career, felt like he operated in kind of the gray area of being an officer. And we're going to dive down into that, what that really means. He's been in a deadly force incident. He's had suicidal ideations that have come and built resiliency in his life. He's had an ambush on his life. Man, he's had some trials and tribulations in his life. He's recognized what he was doing right and what he was doing wrong. And now how he can change that in the community now let's jump right into this episode. How you doing, Jason? I'm having the time of my life. Thank you so much. I'm happy to hear that you're having the time of your life. That's exciting news. I love when people say that and have some enthusiasm. Jason, can you introduce the to yourself to the audience? Sure, sure. So my name is Jason Lehman. I uh, am a 16-year veteran of law enforcement who actually left the Long Beach Police Department in January and retired to go work as a subject matter expert and educational consultant to work to try and focus on 21st century policing with a focus on um, how we engage and the way that we strategically communicate. So uh, I left the organization after uh, spending a, a number of working in a number of different jobs. I worked in patrol. I worked on a gang and violent crime suppression team. I uh, did some rotations through some other specialized units, worked as a community engagement officer. I know I have a face for radio, but I worked <laughs> as a public information officer. And uh, then the last three years I spent as a sergeant supervising the best police officers in the city of Long Beach. I also have a nonprofit organization called Why'd You Stop Me that I founded in 2012. And in 2012, I found that organization to help police officers and the public better unite, ultimately to uh, begin to see that desire is more important than duty. So by taking our actions from duty to desire, we're able to reduce the acts of violence that we see on both sides, whether it be the police officer or the community member. And we do that as an organization through providing training to both sides. And so that's that's how we work, law enforcement and community training. And uh, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to um, check out Jason's bio and see his videos and stuff like that. They're, they're really awesome. And you put on classes um 
in the community, right? We do. We do. We put on community courses and the course is called uh, TAG and it's Together Achieving Greatness. We actually thrive in putting on train the trainer programs in different cities where we take, um, you know, intermediate level law enforcement trainers and instructors who obviously care for their community and they go out there and they put on the trainings in their different cities. Our organization comes in and starts that training process with hopes of turning it back over to, you know, the the law enforcement instructor uh, within that city uh, agency jurisdiction or area. And then that's kind of how the community training happens. The law enforcement training side is something that we've really been thriving on lately as well. That's awesome. Jason, I, how'd you come to that decision to leave, you know, law enforcement, you know, after 16 years? Yeah. You know, it was a really interesting deal. I was working in my car 40 hours a week. Then I was working overtime so that I could bank that time and take an hour and a half of kind of paid time, paid leave, just so that I could take time off so I could do the nonprofit work and go work. And so ultimately what ended up happening was I was finagling away a system of making like 80 hours into the week. And I just wasn't really seeing my family. Um, I looked at what was uh, most financially beneficial for the family. And I also looked at my wellness and everybody's in a different place in their life. Sure. And so when we look at where we are, it's important for us to evaluate that. I am sure there's a number of law enforcement right now that are thinking about leaving the job. And it's not always the best thing to do. And you have to you have to weigh a lot of different things before you make that drastic decision. Well, for me, when I thought about it, I said, you know what? I can impact 10 or 20 police officers as a supervisor and help a community, or I can take the skill set that God gave me and take it to a 30,000 foot level and be able to help uh, impact more of the culture of policing in general. And with that opportunity that God gave me and with the um with the opportunity to look at what um, that byproduct was, which was more financial freedom. I said, you know what? It's time for me to do all of that. And I left kicking and screaming. Uh, (laughs) I miss miss being out there. I miss being with the troops in the city of Long Beach, the supervisors, the sergeants are very, very close to their officers. And um, you know, it's a, it's, it's something that, that part of it is something that I miss. Yeah. Let's, let's touch on that a little bit. Cause you know, that's, some pretty big leadership, uh, you know, to be close to your officer. That's a pretty big leadership shift kind of, you know, for the 21st century, like to be close to your people that you're leading. How'd you get close to your guys? You know, it's interesting. Um, when I first got on the job, you would never see your Sergeant. You would see your Sergeant when he told you where you were working, you would go into a briefing, he or she would tell you where you were working and the briefings weren't even really all that in depth. And um, it wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't any real close. Uh, it didn't feel like there were close connections being made as much. Yeah. Obviously there's always been those sergeants that have motivated you and that have been great leaders. But I think that supervision um, has taken more of a, I think effective supervision has taken more of an on-scene approach. And yeah. it's not because of the concept of trust, but verify, which a lot of people use. I think it's because, when we know that the leader has our back, we don't care if our leader's there. We yeah. feel comfortable with our leader being there. It's the leader that's micromanaging. It's the leader that's, you know, overbearing, right? Um, that helicopter sergeant, right? That's just <laughs> always feeling like they're doing something else that becomes a problem. But if you're back in your troops, why wouldn't you want to be close to them? Why wouldn't you want to be proximate when you can, right? Obviously, yeah. they need their space. They need their freedom. They need to get to going on that. But I think that, you know, from from log on to log off, there's a lot of things in supervision and leadership that leaders could be doing. Um, and some are, but some just really are not. And that, that that's not always the fault of the leader. It's really the fault of the system of law enforcement leadership. We train leaders in a, a year after they've become supervisors. Well, a leader is an officer on day one. So it's kind of confusing to look at it that way. Um, And I could talk about that topic forever, but really it's about getting to know your people and speaking to them on a personal level, not just a business level, right? I want to know how many kids you have. I want to know your first name. You know, I want to know those kinds of things that there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, buying your troops some food and sitting there and eating with them and, and, you know, using that as a tool to communicate. There's a a bunch of different ideas. And in our, in our uh, 21st century supervisory, supervisory leadership course, we, I work with other, other leaders 
both current and retired, all the way up to the chief level to come in and speak to current leaders and prospective leaders and prospective, you know, sergeants about what it takes to be that effective, what we call on-scene leader, right? Without being yeah. overbearing. Yeah, I think that's kind of a gap in the first responder world, both in police and fire side of things that you're expected to be a leader, but what leadership training do you really have? It's really, it's really awkward. In the fire side, it's it's even more weird to an extent because you're living for 24 hours together. And when somebody messes up, it's hard to pull them aside and tell them not to go back in and mess up. You know, cops are everywhere. They're widespread. You know, you have a firehouse with four, six, 10, 12 people. And it's uh, it's really interesting to see that, especially when it comes to having to lead through the issues around what we do with probationary firefighters. It's yeah. uh, it's that's that's a huge change um, in in idea and ideology. You know, whereas in the fire service, you used to kind of really belittle probationary firefighters for their <laughs> right. first first year, and now you're really trying to bring them into the fold because if you beat them down too bad, what's going to make them an effective leader? In either either side of you know fire yeah. or police, so yeah, a lot of changes, a lot of shifts. Yeah, because you can take on both good qualities of a leader and bad qualities of a leader, depending on who your leader is. And I think you know you to become a good leader, you take different pieces of people you've been around, right, to form your leadership and learn from that, and then try to pass that on to your guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who was one of your mentors? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I have a couple of really, really big mentors in my life. In law enforcement, there was a leader who at the time was not a sergeant. He was a peer and his name is Jimmy Foster. And, um, you know, Jim Foster in the Long Beach Police Department, his family's legendary. And this man pulled me aside in my second or third month. And I was working with a horrible field training officer. And I literally went to work miserable. This field training officer would pull tow trucks over. And because the tow truck had a registration as was expired more than six months, we would tow the tow truck. Well, we would actually tow the tow truck while it was towing another vehicle. Oh, so we'd geez. have to tow the tow truck and then tow the vehicle as found property. This guy was ruthless. And, you know, doing those kinds of things to people, that's not what I signed up for. You know, yeah. if you have somebody working in a hardworking capacity and they they haven't paid their registration for a month, you know, I understand I operate for the state and all that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes that's one of those things you can just kind of let go. And, you know, hey, there's an officer asking for help three blocks away. And this cop that was training me is like, ah, let's just just keep eating. Like, are you are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. And so this officer, Jimmy Foster, saw my frustration, pulled me aside. And from that moment, actually, until today, he sees me do stuff on social media. You know, even when I'm I'm gone, I'm gone from the agency and he'll hit me up and be like, hey, you know, uh, or he hears somebody say something. Hey, you know. Right. So, you know, it's, it's interesting by PERS standards, the retirement standards. I'm not retirement age. And so yeah. he's like, hey, you really got to consider calling yourself retired. You might upset a couple of guys that really did the time, right? And <laughs> all that, all that makes sense, right? All of that <laughs> stuff, all that stuff makes sense. And he always has my back. He's a he's a great guy. And then away from the agency, there's a guy named Gordon Graham. And um, I think most people know who Gordon Graham is, but he's the yeah. founder of um, you know, re really the founder of modern day risk management, and he's done a lot of stuff in leadership. And I don't fault him that he worked for the CHP, but <laughs> but, but he uh he's a really, really great leader. And there's a lot of great CHP officers I've had the opportunity to train. But you know, Gordon Graham uh, has really helped me to stay on track. And one of the things that he told me that was so incredibly important is no matter what position we're in. The, the training on this is not the big piece. It's actually owning it. If there's a high risk situation that we don't know we're going to get in, but we know it exists, we should be preparing for it. Yeah. We should be preparing for that high risk, low frequency situation. You know, whether it be this podcast right here, what questions could you ask me? Right. I have to be thinking right. about those kinds of things, whatever it might be that come up, we have to be able to be ready and prepared. And that's another thing that we do a, um, we could do a better job generally preparing our leaders for and the front lines, fire, yeah. police, you know, that high risk, low frequency stuff, right? Because Gordon says it best. If, if it's predictable, it's preventable. And so how yeah. do we do that? But I've had a ton of, I mean, there are so many mentors I could name off right now, but but what I, I love the question because without mentors, 
you will you'll never be in a leadership position. It just yeah. doesn't it doesn't work. And one one aspect of mentorship that we carry into on scene engagement with law enforcement is the best leaders have been impeccable followers. Uh, yes. When we, teach, when we teach community members, we let them know we need you to follow on scene. If the leader, the cop is is a leader. You're also a leader, but you're a leader as a follower on scene sometimes during this interaction. If there's an issue, you need to report the leadership that the, the poor leadership that was done. So report it to the police agency. But we want to cooperate now and then complain later. And what do we do if we go through that? We probably don't have a use of force. We probably don't find the rogue cop that just out of the blue comes up and just beats you up with a stick. Like, you know, last time I saw that happen was probably in the heard of that happening was probably in the 80s or 90s. Right. Yeah. It's got to take something right on one side or the other. So, you know, important to think about those things. Yeah, I like that. I like um, the wildland community does a it's leader. It's followership to leadership, I think, is the name of the class. And I, and I love that because. You're you're so you're so right. You have to learn how to follow first. I feel like before you can you can lead, and I think that's appropriate. What you said, right? You know, follow in in the moment, right? Unless it's a massive safety concern or there's an issue, but then address it after. That's right. That's right. And police officers have to follow policy, but they also have to follow their heart. We yeah. we we lose a little bit of the heart through trauma, and that loss of our heart it makes us only look at word for word policies. And mm -hmm. that's where the professional DIK comes out. Yeah. <laughs> and no, nobody wants to be that person. Yeah. Policy says I can do it, right? Yeah, right, person, right. Person that looks up, walks up to you and goes, have a nice day, right? Well, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a great human being that's gone through some things and they right. didn't start out that way most of the time. And so it's, it's important to think about that. And it, it happens on both sides, you know, both sides of a, of a contact in the fire service, the police service, both sides can get better. And that's yeah. what we should be working on is getting better. Sometimes we're just working status quo mediocrity. I get paid, right? If I stay in the car, I don't get out. I don't get fired. You know, <laughs> there's some of those things that happen. It's not all the time, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm working to prevent, right? Is yeah. for us to, to lose our, our drive or our why. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to have that empathy and sympathy at, at times, you know, for, I mean, the people that you're engaging with, you can't just be shut off. Yeah, it's and and, and, we, and the, the 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 issue with with shutting off is we've been trained to shut off a, a lot, and we're not we're not catching up with the training change. And so now you have these youth that are being trained a certain way, right? I mean, look at Common Core math: two plus two has equaled four <laughs> to us forever. Now it takes one hour and four people to answer that two plus two equals four, right? Then they have to go to the academy and the academy, the academy they say, why do I have to do this? I told you so. Shut your mouth. Right. And it's not always like that. But, yeah. you know, we want to be able to get back into, you know, answering that why and, and working from that place of empathy and, and understanding. Right. Without yeah. with jeopardizing safety. We don't right. want to we don't want to hug thugs, kiss babies and, you know, have to chase <laughs> fairies and butterflies. We don't we don't want that. But we do want to be able to make sure that we are a a strong, sustained guardian who knows how to be a warrior at that moment, right? When that moment uh, comes. Right. So 16 years in law enforcement, you have had to gone through some stuff in your career to get to the place you are today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. What kind of, what kind of things did you encounter over your 16 year career? You might be able to shed some insight on for yeah. listeners. Yeah. Um, we're not going to make this a 10 hour podcast, although we could, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> we could turn this into a four hour Jocko Willing podcast. But yeah. no. um, well, well, when I first got started, I started because I wanted to help the city of Long Beach and I wanted to reduce crime. Um, dear police officers, you're not going to reduce crime. I, I, hate, I hate to say that. You're yeah. going to help one victim, you're going to help. Uh, you're going to arrest one suspect. You're going to help one victim and you're going to arrest one suspect. That is what has has driven me now. But back then, I thought I could save the world. Well, when you think you could save the world, you move too fast. It's just it's just one of those things. Right. We 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 are we are partial superheroes in law enforcement, but we can't always do that. Right. Because the kryptonite starts kind of setting in. So for me, I started learning not by the agency, but by individual field training officers or individual officers 
that I could work in a gray area. And that gray area got me in trouble. And that gray area got me into internal affairs. That gray area got me suspended. And that gray area got me, uh, to be honest with you, onto a gang and violent crime suppression team. Not because the leaders knew I was in the gray area, <laughs> but because I was producing stats. Yeah. I was producing stats and stats and stats. And so I was invited onto this amazing team. When I got onto the team, I was still this no-nonsense cop that in Central or in West Long Beach, they nicknamed Tiny. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, Jerry, I'm like six four, <laughs> north of 300 pounds, right? Like there's, there's nothing tiny um, about me. But I took on a, I was I was raised by certain individuals that exist not just in Long Beach. They exist all they existed all over law enforcement that you treat people with, with respect as long as they show you with you, you respect. But if someone treats you like an a-hole, you treat them as such. That was the most traumatizing approach I've ever taken. And I took it on a regular basis. Every time somebody disrespected me. I didn't show them respect. I disrespected them back. And I thought that respect was earned. Well, if respect is earned, that means I get to continuously disrespect my community until they earn it. That's a fallacy. That's a lack of leadership. And it doesn't show that you're a leader in a positive way. So because of that, it led me to these, you know, um, you know, minor issues that I thought were small, but over time they pile up. And I ended up getting suspended and my deputy chief of police uh, told there was an allegation of a use of force, an unreported use of force. It was really weird. It was an unreported use of force that was in between two reported uses of force. Same person. So there's a there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there's not enough time to explain it. But, you know. Um, for anybody that's in the law enforcement support community, you know, a use of force is where you take a certain amount of force and then you have to report that use of force to, to, a, to a supervisor. Um, and so and every agency has a different policy on what that amount of force might be. But ultimately, you're fighting with people, right, to, to an extent. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate that that time I didn't do what they alleged or I would have possibly seen federal prison time. Um, But it's not to say I didn't do bad things that were never alleged against me. Here are five tips if you're feeling stuck in your life still. One, take full responsibility of your life. Don't be that victim anymore. You have to get past that. Number two, praise and enjoy the process. Focus on the journey when things get tough. Focus on the end, where you're headed and why you're headed there. If you truly know... Those little things are not going to knock you off your track. Number three, become anti-fragile. Once again, don't let those little things knock you down. Learn a breathing process so you can get through them and not get stuck in that moment. Number four, cut out the crappy friends that are sucking the life out of you because you can't excel if you're around a bunch of crappy friends that are not going to help you excel. And number five, you need to cultivate grit and perseverance Knowing your journey and having it written down and having a destination is going to keep you on track and help you with that grit and perseverance on getting you to where you want to be. Now let's jump right back into this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And and in the most vulnerable way, I want to apologize to everybody out there because the things that I did early on in my career, they directly correlate with the person that holds the sign that says F the police today. And we sometimes allow those signs to traumatize us. Yeah. Well, next time you see the sign, I hope that you understand that I helped create that sign. And I'm sorry about that. But if you just went up to the person holding the sign, not during the riot, but if you just went up to the person holding the sign and introduced yourself by first name and put your hand out and extended that olive branch, 90% of the time, you, you you will build an advocate. You will build somebody who will understand that you are human. But what do we do? We line up in lines <laughs> or go hide or put on masks. Or, and then you know who messes with us? The people that aren't holding the signs. That's who messes with us. <laughs> yes. And so the people that are holding the signs that see us messing with those people back with violence, they want to hold the signs more. Well, right. I, I helped to, unfortunately, I can't say it was a positive help, but I had a negative help to create that. 
I did that because I was trying to deal with a lot of power at one time. So as I got into these incidents, um, I, after getting suspended, I, I literally walked, my deputy chief told me, you don't deserve to be a police officer. Um. And I walked out of that room after speaking with the deputy chief prior to serving my suspension, and I had a conversation with God. And I don't care if you believe in God or not, but if you don't have a higher power and you're a first responder, you're probably in a little bit of trouble. I don't know yeah. who you're going to talk to. You're going to have to talk down, keep talking down to people because there's nobody above you, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it, true. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. you just keep talking down to people. But um, I, I realized and I had an aha moment. It was like a snap of a finger. I realized something that was mind blowing. And I thought about it all my on my own. I thought, you know. I have to do something like I signed up to do. Like I signed up to do it a certain way. And then things had changed. I got to go back to the, what I signed up to do. Cause I, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I wasn't doing what I took an oath to do. I was breaking down a community that I swore to uphold and protect. And so months go by and I get into an undercover drug deal that goes terribly bad. And, um, the undercover drug deal, we have a suspected drug dealer who's going to make the second drug sale to a confidential informant. This confidential informant is um, a trusted confidential informant. He says this drug dealer has a gun in his waistband. We develop a plan. We put people in uniforms in the front, uniforms in the back. We even hide two guys in plain clothes in the bushes right outside of this apartment complex. What I'm developing and explaining to you is called a foolproof plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so what was going to happen was the informant was going to come out of the gate, um, put the hood up, which is a hit sign. Hey, it was a good sale. The two plainclothes guys are going to wrap around. They're going to go into this, into the fence, into the area of the apartment complex where there's no exit, uh, no back exit, no nothing. And this suspected drug dealer ran up an exterior staircase and down an exterior balcony, and literally. Um, like one of the one of the actions from the movie The Predator, where he just jumps far, he jumped without touching the railing from the second story, landed on the first story. And as my partner put our car in uniform, put our car right in the perfect spot, a partner got out and he pointed his gun at him, and he ran up and punched my partner right past his gun. Oh, Flat wow. back to my partner, we run southbound down the sidewalk. And me um shaped a little bit differently at the time, to be honest with you. I was <laughs> Uh, I catch him and uh, a major use of force ensues and I get him handcuffed. And when I stand up, I take a deep breath. And I look down and he's not breathing. He's dead. And I thought to myself at that moment, something different than the dozens of use of force I've been in before. I thought I could have done something differently. And what was it? And I thought to myself, he could have done something differently. And what was it? Right? Like fourth grade. Yeah. Math. It was weird. It's really, yeah. really weird. Um, you know, if you if you haven't been in a critical incident, things go really fast or they go really slow and they kind of just moves back and forth. And, you know, I've been in a, a number of critical incidents before, uh, and this one felt different. And um, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, the fire department responded and brought a heartbeat back. But unfortunately, he was taken off life support days later. And after I was uh, told that I'd done everything right, which was the word, the other word was it was a good deal. Um, I could not come to take that it was right or that it was a good deal. Wow. So I'd done everything by the book in policy, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so what could I have done differently? What was it that I could have done? I spent like two years trying to figure out what it was I could have done. And uh, I kid you not, after that incident, um, and after speaking to my deputy chief, I was hard nosed, great police work, just doing good stuff, commendation, commendation, commendation. And I was doing work that was just exactly what I signed with do because I was doing it ethically. Like yeah. every, you know, all of the work we do, smart policing is what we should be doing, right? Not fast policing, not slow policing, smart policing. We should be thinking through how we do this, right? It's not always about the felony. It's not always about the, the bond with the community. It's kind of in between, right? And, um, I uh, have great times with my team. And then I would go home and um, I would sit on my couch. And on dozens of occasions, I would plan and plot how I was going to kill myself. And it wasn't because of that act. It was because of the times that I may have possibly cussed out a mother in front of their child. 
while wearing a police uniform or the times where I may have um, twisted somebody's arm, maybe a little bit harder than I had to, or the times where I put somebody in the backseat of a police car after running and chasing and catching them. And while I was catching my breath outside of the car, they were catching their breath in handcuffs in the back of a car in a small box. And I would sit on the hood and talk to my peers about where I was going to go to lunch. Instead of getting in the car and offering due process of the law and driving them down. Those little aspects where I could, I knew I could have done better. Those things caught up with me. And that gray area work caught up with me. But what I didn't know is I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to catch up. Yeah. And that's the problem with trauma. You, if you're, if you're in traumatized situations today, if you don't handle it by being proactive, oftentimes you don't know what's going to come of it in the future. And so while I was literally planning out where the brain splatter was going to go on my wall, thinking about where I was going to sit and what my family members were going to do with a gun right next to me and trying to think through this stuff. I, uh, I lost stuff. I lost friends. I lost family. I lost relationships, but at work, I was dead on. As a matter of fact, when I tell, I just started telling these stories over the last couple of years and people come to me and they go, what you were, you were going through. How come you didn't tell me? Well, I, I couldn't. I couldn't be that weak out there. I could only be weak uh, here. Yeah, yeah. And so, this what I found out was my my I had some loved ones introduce me to therapy, and therapy is the best best thing ever. You know, I I see a, a therapist with Counseling Team International. Her her name is Shauna. She's the best. I don't care who knows any. You know, and and it it's helped me to kind of figure things out. And you know, from 2011 on. I found methods of resiliency, and now I believe that I'm probably as strong and as resilient as anybody. There's a chance I might die from eating cheeseburgers, so I'm still working <laughs> on that. But uh, you know, I could drop a couple pounds, but I was very fortunate that I was able to turn things around. And I, I turned things around um, at a good time because you know the team that I was on, we were receiving some, some threats, some death threats. And there was a threat that we were going to be ambushed and killed inside of a park one day. And that came right after I started finding my resilience and my a little bit more of the emotional wellness. Right when I thought I was doing good, work-life balance, everything is great, and here it comes, right? And that's kind of how God has, has done it for me, you know, by putting a lot on my plate, but never too much that I, could ha- I couldn't handle it. Um, and uh, now I have to figure out what I'm going to do. And I kind of relapse a little bit. I walked into our team and I told our team, let's go, let's go, right? Let's go get them, right? <laughs> And that's not always the best approach, right? Uh, vengeance for vengeance is uh, is hard. Yeah. They, had said, they had said that I personally had gone too hard on the gang and I had been too aggressive of a person. And what that translated to me was, was I'd been too disrespectful. You don't jeopardize safety by being respectful. Or, you don't jeopardize safety by being disrespectful or by being respectful. You jeopardize safety by being disrespectful. And Makes sense. I don't realize that. Right. And what I realized after I walked into a classroom with kids and I spoke to a group of kids and, you know, I can tell you that story if you'd like. But when I walked out of that classroom, that was a development of my mindset, which is if I spend more time with the people that I don't like. Then I'll start liking them. I'll find (laughs) something to like. And so when I get on scene of calls from there moving forward and I had a rude or disrespectful or even resistant community member. Hey, I'm setting up shop. Hey, F you. Hey, look, man, Um, not quite sure why you want me to F myself, but I, I, I want to know who you are. My name is Jason. What, can we talk? What? Or if I walked up and somebody says, hey, you stopped me because I'm black. You know, sometimes police officers out of frustration say, no, I didn't stop you because you're black. You know, what's wrong? I said, you know, I didn't stop you because you're black. As a matter of fact, um, when me and you were born, we never chose the color of our skin. Can we agree to that? Well, yeah. And racism and hate bias and bigotry bigotry they're all learned would you agree like you don't have a gene for hate well yeah well guess what i'm one of the ones that doesn't have that hate right and so can me and you start off from here is it that you don't like the police or that you don't like me and you get the person go "Uh, i don't like the police well you know what i gotta be honest there's a couple cops in long beach i don't like either (laughs) 
right? To this moment. <laughs> yeah. To this moment, you know? And maybe they'll listen to this podcast and, and they'll recognize I still don't like them. If I spent more time with them, I might find something to like about them. But right now, I don't. And so, you know, I realized that the answer to those two questions in dealing through my trauma, when I said, hey, what could I have done differently prior to using serious force, right? Right. I could have engaged with people that were difficult and the people that ran from me and the people that fighted or followed me. And I could have told them, hey, we could have done this differently. And I really didn't appreciate that. As a matter of fact, what you did, it scared me, brother. And um, I want to go home to my family and I want you to go home to your family. And in the future, if we see each other again, I want you to know that I got your back. I just hope that you have mine too, man. You made a decision and the decision does not define you. What you're doing is a uniform and the uniform does not define you. And so when I meet you at your Vegas moment at 2 a.m. on your 21st (laughs) birthday as a police officer, I can't hold everything against you. And when I started learning that, it helped me because now I knew I could, I could do my best with everybody as long as it's not jeopardizing safety, right? right? And that allows me time. It allows me distance. It allows me to understand de-escalation. It allows me to understand so much more because I think, what would I want a police officer to do to my son if my son accidentally tried drugs? Right. What would I want a police officer to do to my son if my son was in the backseat of the car mouthing off? Would I want that police officer to slam the brakes on? You know, what, what, what is it that I would want that police officer to do? And that's how I treat people, you know? So that was the first question, the answer to the first question of what I could have done differently. I found it. And then what could he have done differently? It's really, really weird. He'd been contacted more than 30 times. And if you said his name in the agency, he was known. He was the a-hole, the poop bag, the this, the that. If one of those 30 cops would have taken the approach I just explained to you, then maybe when he saw me, it wouldn't have been that big of a threat. I, I, that cop would have represented me for the future. So now what I teach when I teach to, when I talk to speak to police officers, and I also speak say the same thing to community members in a different way is when you meet somebody that doesn't like you and they're the a-hole, if you spend more time with them and explain to them how you want to be treated in a relationship, because that's what you're in, then yeah. guess what? The relationship will get better. But if all you do is scream and yell in a relationship or stay quiet, Tell me when that's ever worked, right? <laughs> yeah. Never worked at home, at work, anywhere, right? Yeah. It's the same thing on the streets. We have to be able to take this relational approach and bring it onto the streets because you can have one big traumatic instance, an incident, and you're and you're going to. If you work in law enforcement, you're going to. You're not going to avoid it no matter what. That that big one is coming, right? Yeah. Whatever that might be. But if you build your 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 fair people around you that support you and you do things right the rest of the time, you will have put so much deposits into your positive bank in your head that you can take a withdrawal of that negative and you still, you're still full of positive. You're still full of, of vigor and of, of life and of enjoyment. And so you, it's a lot easier for you to make it work. But if everything's negative and then you get into some negative stuff, uh, a negative and a negative doesn't equal positive in this one. And right. so- you know, that's that's what ended up happening for me. So, you know, a, a number of different incidents, you know, from, you know, uh, deadly force stuff to, you know, um, you know, dealing with with the death and, and dying of, of very, very young people and, you know, those threats and just just a combination of stuff. And, you know, before any of this, you tell me if this is true. When you're traumatizing, you don't know what to do. You go home, you tell your family, you traumatize them or. You go home, you keep it to yourself, you traumatize yourself. <laughs> the balloon's either gonna gonna explode, right? Or it's all gonna fizzle out. There's there's no there's there's no in between, right? You're not gonna keep the air in the balloon. So, you know, that's that's my story on on the trauma on duty. Yeah. What did other officers around you start thinking about you? You know, it was very interesting. I've gone um from a very well-respected, hard-nosed cop. Um, with the way I was doing things um, to a cop who was considered in the middle to a cop who people have considered um, overbearing um, a, you know, a kiss ass, you know, somebody who is now uh, in it for himself, um, you know, in our profession, if you're in the middle, you're doing really well. If you start going too high, the other people start getting upset. And it's quite odd 
it's like, hey, don't get recognized for doing great things. Just do middle in the middle things. And so when I started, you know, look, I'm not great at very much, to be honest with you. It's the truth. I'm not I'm not great at very much. I believe I am great at a couple of things. And so those things I found a way to excel at. If all of us did that in in our profession, I think it would be so much better. But what happens if I'm a police officer that's going out there nowadays and doing too much work? People look at me and they go, hey, man, slow down. It'll be here tomorrow. You know, um, time heals all calls. You know, oh, you have a you have an extra job. You got a, you got a side job, a second job. Uh, you might not want to do that. Right. Because if you do that second job, it's going to mess you up on your first job. And and part of that's true. But part of it's absolutely incorrect. If I have a skill set to go out and speak to people and help them get better, why can't I be a cop and still go do that every once in a while? If I have a skill set to be a carpenter, let me go be a carpenter in my spare time. But if the skill set directly correlates to what you're doing on duty, a lot of people start getting seem to start getting quite frustrated. So I have a great number of people that support me now um, in what I do. But there's a number of people that say, hey, you know, um, Jason is this, you know, this guy that just travels around and 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 tells stories to people and and does that kind of stuff. So um, the support has been different throughout my time. When it came to me hurting, people didn't know. I have I I, I had not talked about it on duty at all. I had a couple of um, conversations breaking down crying when I had to, you know, leave my directed enforcement team, and maybe one or two leaders knew about that. Um, you know, because of the the stuff that I was getting getting involved in, um, I was very fortunate because I actually came back about a year later. Another long story, <laughs> but I left the team and uh, went up north, worked on an auto theft task force, and you know, kind of say, "Hey, just go hide for a while; it'll be okay." Which is also very weird, right? Like, don't like hide from something that. Uh, so I did that, and I came back onto the team and and started doing some great stuff on the team. But uh, but yeah, it's the support has been all over the place. I couldn't even really pinpoint kind of um, if it's been, you know, up all the time or down all the time. It's It's been all over the place. I think a good message for a law enforcement officer that's working right now in this traumatized state is if you can find a way to focus on responses to events and not the events themselves, you will always have positive outcomes. Always. If the events bother you. Hey, we lost the carotid control restraint. Oh my gosh, I can't do this job. Great Scott. Well, well, that, guess what? You don't make the rules, right? It's like they said in Top Gun, right? We don't make policy. We're the instruments of that policy, right? Yeah. Fighter jet pilots out there in police cars, guns, badges, shotguns, AR-15s, the ability to think better than 99.9% of the people they show up to serve. And we serve everybody so well, but we don't back each other emotionally. We we are we we are so good at fixing others, we're horrible at fixing ourselves. So what I'd say is find people that you don't normally hang out with in your agency which ultimately would probably mean you probably don't like them. Yeah, yeah. Spend more time with them. Find out about them. Don't tell them about you, right? We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So <laughs> keep your ears open and listen to them and actively listen and hear them because you might be the only person that's hearing them throughout their entire day. They may be going home to nothing. They may be in the middle of an abusive relationship. They may be in the middle of abusing drugs and you don't know it. They may be in the middle of thinking about how, or plotting and planning how they're going to kill themselves in a few weeks. And you've interrupted that. In my last okay. six years in law enforcement, my last six years in law enforcement, four police officers that I worked with all committed suicide. And I could tell you, I only knew of one of them that was even halfway hurting. And it's because we can do a better job. Yeah. Just, we just can. So yeah, and that's that that's that's the deal with that. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I love your enthusiasm, your attitude, and the way that you approach approach things. I'm like, man, that's why right, you do have a certain well, you have a couple of skill sets, clearly, but getting out there and sharing your message is is both awesome, both awesome the with the nonprofit and then going to to speaking because I feel like that's right, starting to kind of bridge those two worlds a little bit. And we we all definitely can do a better job, but I, we when we lose that caring about other people, it triggers us, right? It triggers us to 
to what normal reaction that it triggers first responders is anger, right? That's it. That's it. And you know, it's funny because you can't be curious and furious at the same time. And so if you can teach yourself to be curious before you get furious, you'll do a whole lot better. Why is that person angering me? And why am I allowing one of my nine indicators of rage? There's nine things that enrage us. Why am I allowing one of those to enrage me? What is it that's making it happen? And there's going to be times where you're enraged. But leaders, effective leaders don't have bad days. They have bad moments. Yeah, I like and those bad moments become bad days because they're not being effective and they allow that bad moment to ruin their entire day. And so we sit there and think about that. There's a leadership system that all of us can use. And I'm going to provide it in about 60 seconds. It's four parts and it's just like legs to a table. On top of that table is fairness. Leaders need to be fair. The first one is voice and providing others with voice. The second one is neutrality and understanding. We have to say our mom was wrong sometimes. And my mom raised me to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. I can't treat people the way I want to be treated if I don't know they want to be treated like me. So I'm going to treat people the way they want to be treated without jeopardizing safety. The third one is respect and providing respect to everyone. If I chase a sex registrant who just molested a child down the street and I have to shoot them because they turn and point a gun at me, I am going to go render aid to bring their heartbeat back as much or try as much as I would anybody else in the community, not because of the stuff that they did that I didn't like, but because I respect their heartbeat. I don't respect their decisions. I don't respect what they've done. I want them to be in prison for life, but I'm not going to be judge, jury, and executioner. And I'm not going to just just render aid because it's policy. Don't want to lose my job. No, I'm going to use my first aid skill set to do that. And you can think of me however you want to think of me, but I'm going to feel good at the end of this day because God forbid that story about that sex registration was all made up. And I find out that everything about them wasn't true and everything was was incorrect. And before I know it, now I re- I get hit with the realization that that was the child of a police officer. Yeah. Then how am I going to feel? Right. I feel horrible because I don't know where people came from. And then the last one is trust and building trust. And that effective trust system is so important because trust is not immediate. It is earned. Respect immediate, trust earned, voice neutrality, trust, respect, stable table, fairness on top. It's amazing. Go out there, give it a shot. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that that helps some people. Yeah. Is that something you also teach in your nonprofit to, to people? Yeah. And that, and that system is weird. If I, if I say it that way, a lot of people don't recognize what it is. But I, I, I have to admit where I got it from. Um, there's, this, there's this write-up in law enforcement that a lot of cops don't like. And it's called the President's Task for the Report on the President's Task Force on 21st Century Policing. And that's where I got it. It's called procedural justice. The problem with procedural justice courses are that procedural justice courses are typically taught by um, a person who has done a lot of research on the brain, a PhD, done all these things, but they haven't sat inside the window, inside of look of the police car looking out the window. And so their training doesn't come with context. They just have the content. And when it comes to training, it's not the it's not the specific content that matters as much as it is the delivery system. Sure. And so we bring our training brings delivery systems that are credible, believable, and motivating to help change morale and to help answer the why people should change. Because think about training when it comes to being a first responder. You train, but do you change? Well, if you train, you don't change. You're not training. Training changes or modifies behavior by definition. I'm a definition guy. <laughs> and so we want to be able to look at that. And that's that's super important to think about. But yeah, we we do teach on that. We teach on, we, we have about 12 different trainings. And then I speak on about 20 different topics when I go around and do keynote speeches. Um, and I speak not only to police, but I speak to fire and the corporate, the corporate sector as well. You know, because fairness is something that will help us with success in any realm that we're in. Yeah. Something that I, thought about when you're talking about that and like believing everything you hear about someone like there's so much of that that is just like you learn about somebody like oh I heard this about you but um it's actually not true like and I've something I tried to do later on in my career and maybe I didn't do as good job in the beginning of my career but serving pretty well is that you build your own relationship with a person. Don't let someone else build that relationship for you because you're just going to disrespect them or not learn about them or care about them. And 
maybe you'll actually like them. And so what the other person put on you to think about that other person is doing you such a disservice. You know, it's actually traumatizing to think about it. Um, let me give you let me give you a scenario, because if, uh, if there's a uh, active cop listening to this, I want them to hear this. But we as we become more senior in law enforcement, we use terms that we don't mean. So a sergeant may say, hey, that tweaker was out there. But when the sergeant's out there, they're really caring for the person. They're just using that to describe what people think. Well, if I tell us a two-year cop, tweaker, 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 when they go out with two years on, they treat people like tweakers. That doesn't, that that's not okay. Well, there's a scenario where a young police officer joins a search warrant team. And that young police officer, let's say that his name is Officer James, okay? Um, and that's not his name. But Officer James is the young police officer two years on the job, goes to a search warrant briefing. And the senior detective, 20 years on, hey, we're going to get Johnny. Johnny's a gangster. Johnny's from this gang. And Johnny's always strapped. He's always got a gun. Seven of They finish the briefing and seven of them walk up to the house. All seven of them see Johnny on the front porch. Johnny goes to reach for his waistband. Officer James shoots. No one else does. When the investigation starts taking place, the question becomes, why did only Officer James shoots, shoot? Why do you think that is? Because I, the yeah, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Go, No, go ahead. Go ahead. Because the senior detective told a two-year cop he's always got a gun. Yeah. That that is not, you have to look at this, right? You cannot look at this that way. You have to look at it from this objective lens and say, hey, what? And so how would how can we make that change in our culture? It's so easy. It's like this. Ready? Hey, guys, last time I saw Johnny was five years ago, and five years ago he had a gun, so be careful. It's so much different. <laughs> it's, it, it's night and day. And if parents could parent their children in the same way, hey, there are a couple police officers out there that might hurt you for being black, but the majority of them are great. So listen to them, understand there's a chance you might get hurt, but there's a greater chance that if you listen to them, everything's going to be okay. It's those types of ideas that help us because then we get to go make up our own mind as we approach them and as we see them. And it makes us actually want to go get to know them. You tell me somebody sucks. I got to fight past it to go find out, find that out now. Oh, you know what? Let me go hang out with people that suck. Like if you, if you'd say, Hey, you know what? I, I don't know much about them. Or, you know, even if you're upset with somebody, Hey, you know, they, they did something wrong to me, but it doesn't make them a bad person. I had a bad experience. They may be cool. It's just, it's just weird. It's, it's weird in what you said. It's, it's great you brought that up, though. Power of words, man. It's power of words. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> it's life-changing for the good and for the bad and both on the street, off the street, everywhere in your life, right? The power of words is so... Determines the situation, right? Determines the outcomes that you may, like you said, facilitate in a good or a positive way by what you say. Yeah, it's nuts. My my spouse just recently told me um, something like, you know, you put your job before your family or something like that. Right. And that's like I mean, you might as well tell me to man up if you say that. Right. Like that's hurtful. And yeah. those are words that she didn't mean that. But those are words like, whoa, like that's not cool. And it's it's because the words are powerful no matter where we are. You know, if we think about it, the closer we act to who we are at home. Um, when we get to work, right, the closer we could be as as, you know, Jerry at home versus Jerry at work, the easier it is for us to battle trauma, the easier it is for us to be resilient. But if we have to turn on, go to work and do it this way and then turn off and then turn on and then turn off, your body doesn't function that way. But how are we trained? We're trained to turn <laughs> on and turn off and turn we don't have to do that. We, you know, if somebody kicked in my office door, which is my home office, somebody kicked in my office door. Do you know that I'm going to turn on? I'm going to utilize safety. Like I, I'm going to do, it. but I don't have to be that way until that happens. Right. Like I, I can just be me. I can, I can still be me. Right. So, you know, I hope that everybody that hears this thinks about that. Be who you are, whether you become, whether you become a formal leader or whether you stay a peer and, and, and subordinate to others, um, whether you're at home supporting an officer or, or first responder or, you know, thinking about becoming a first responder, don't don't change you. Be who you are. Change your leadership ability, improve, but continue to be who you are through that improvement because you can't fake it 
And if you try to become something that that you think you need to be, you have to turn that off to become you again. And there's a there's a traumatizing force there that we oftentimes don't recognize. So just keep that in mind. Doesn't mean you should let your guard down. It means you should, you know, be kind to people. Just don't let people take your kindness for weakness and see humanity when you're dealing in at home and in your in your work life. Yeah. Doesn't that steal away from your resilience when you're turning on and turning off all the time? Brutal. I mean, it's the, the turn on, turn off thing is really, really hard. And and I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, but I am going to work. I am going to be starting my Ph.D. program here oh. soon. Um, but um, when you think about it, right, you don't even have to study that to know that it's right or wrong. All you have to do is squeeze something around a body part for a while and then let go and watch it try and fight back and then do it again and watch it try right it's just it it it, it just doesn't really quite make sense so <laughs> that's a great analogy i like it i like it yeah. very simple can you everyone can understand it and you can yeah, that's uh, it. Don't put rubber bands on your head. Kids, don't put rubber bands on your head or anything. I'm just saying, it's just, it's just to think about. So, Jason, man, you've had some incredible insight. I love it. I love the love the power of the words. I love what you're out there doing and accomplishing. For sure, that bridge can be closed, right? Between like we can bridge that gap. Just takes training and change, like you said, to to do that. Sure. Before I let you go, Jason, where can people follow you and find you? Well, not at my house. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, there's no parties. <laughs> um, no, you know, uh, people can. Um, my, I have two great communication tools, but one of them is actually better than the other. Um, I, I understand how scary social media can be for first responders, but if you're if you're smart and you know, if you think about this term, if you're a voyeur on social media, you do a lot better than if you're the one out there posting a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and being a social media warrior, that's turning up and turning off. So don't do that either. Um, but social media is a great tool. And on Instagram, I'm at Jason Lehman 64. It's uh, Jason, J-A-S-O-N Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N 64 on Instagram. Uh, Facebook, I think is Jason.Lehman.50. Um, and then you can email me. Uh, Jason.Lehman at wism.org, W-Y-S-M.org. You can check out our website, which is W-Y-S-M.org or WISM, which is the acronym for Why'd You Stop Me? And Why'd You Stop Me simply came up because um, after speaking to youth, I realized that we need to do a better job of telling people why we stopped them. And that it's just that easy. So uh, that's how the community training really got formed. But um, yeah, those are those are the best ways to be able to communicate, to reach out. And I want everybody to know I will go anywhere in this country or anywhere in this world to help the best get better. And so if that if you're sitting here saying, hey, we need somebody for a conference or we need somebody for a training to go speak inside a jail, to speak to a prison, to speak to 13 year olds or to speak to 80 year olds, whatever it might be. um, I have a training team of amazing leaders, but I personally myself would love to be able to go out and engage um, with anybody from the community, from law enforcement or even from corporate America or government. So um, I'm really excited to have been on the show and I, I can't show my appreciation enough for this platform you know, and it's it's incredible. But the people that listen to this, don't just ask others to listen to this, but ask others to follow this and to and 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 to subscribe to this podcast. Because what you don't know is that to have a podcast means to have a an amazing platform. But if nobody steps on the platform, it starts not feeling good. So open up that platform, you know, hit the likes and the subscribes and everything else, because we want to make these messages happen for somebody that needs it. And the first person that listened to this might not be the person that needs it, right? It might be the bridge to the person that needs it. So go out there. And if you if you engage with something that's good, share it and share it with a whole heart and be big on sharing it um, when you get out there. So thank you so much for, for the opportunity. I, I can't thank you enough, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, be sure to check out his website. Do you have the YouTube channel too, right? We have a YouTube channel. We have yeah, team wisdom. My bad team wisdom is the YouTube channel. T E A M W Y S M is the YouTube channel. And we're also team wisdom for the business on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to take you with me to market us. This is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, because you, you want to go check that out because I think you'll have a, a better understanding of what Jason's out there doing because it does bring some visual perspective um, to the two different groups that Jason's talking to. So thank you, Jason. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you access your podcast. If you know someone that would be great on the show, please get a hold of our host, Jerry Dean Lund, through the Instagram handles at Jerry Fire and Fuel or at Enduring the Badge Podcast. Also, by visiting the show's website, EnduringTheBadgePodcast.com for additional methods of contact and up-to-date information regarding the show. Remember, the views and opinions expressed during the show solely represent those of our hosts and the current episode's guests.